thank you, Gary. And uh, Gary has been playing the <laughs> flying saucer, <laughs> also known as the Hong. And Gary has CDs for sale in the bookstore for some of his very enchanting spellbinding music. In fact, the talk is cancelled and we're going to have a performance now from <laughs> <laughs> out of compassion for you all <laughs> to not have to listen to me. <laughs> but since a dear friend has flown all the way from Chicago to be here, um, I will talk some <laughs> for one night, flying in for one night. All right, so compassion. Let's think about what comes up when you hear that word, compassion. Is it a word you relate to? Is it a quality that you cherish? Is it something you feel like you embody? Is it something that feels out of reach? Is it something that you feel like you desperately need? I didn't use, I didn't like that word for a long time because it sounds a little highfalutin, um, you know for what is basically a quality of caring and kindness and an active concern for uh, the welfare of others. <clears throat> but I've come to sort of grow my way into it. Um, and I think I partly have because I like this idea of, you know, the, the root word being compassion, to suffer with, to feel with, to be with, to be aligned with, to not be separate from pain or each other, you know, to hold that close, to not go numb, to not check out, to not avoid, which of course is kind of impossible. So I wanted to start with a story that speaks to its everydayness, and of course it's the everydayness, the everyday compassion that we need. Um, and as I said earlier, that uh, um, you know, mindfulness that develops self-awareness, awareness, is the building block for empathy, which is the building block for compassion. Right? When we know ourselves well, when we know our experience and our particularly our pain intimately, then our capacity to respond empathically is much deeper. And, our com and our, the desire to alleviate the suffering is also more powerful. So um, these stories that I often read are really stories that express this fusion of love and awareness. That it's the awareness that allows us to meet someone and, and get where they're at empathically and respond with care or res respond with responsiveness. 
So I like this story because it really um, uh, embodies these two qualities. So it's from a story. It's from a story about sitting in a laundromat. As she was waiting for her clothes to dry, an elderly woman sat silently on the bench and mumbled to herself. At first, I thought she may have a mental illness, as she was shabbily dressed and simply sat mumbling. Her soft yet repetitive words seemed to have annoyed everyone, and people sitting nearby moved away from her, as many do from homeless people. As my dryer came to a stop, I got up and started folding things, and she remained seated. When I was nearly done, she rose from the bench and came towards me. Her eyes were a cloudy blue, but seemed to look straight through me. For a moment, I felt I must know her, but could not recall her in any way. I smiled, and this woman very graciously handed me a small card. Inside was written, I am a simple woman, and many people find me odd. I have not spoken to others since my son died in the Vietnam War. Thank you for sitting beside me as I prayed for him. As I read the card, tears welled up in my eyes, and this fragile woman reached out her hand and placed it on mine. I realized that her mumblings were prayers, and her lack of contact with even a smile was due to her sense of hopelessness. How sad she must be to live in a world where she was shunned because she seemed different. I returned to the laundry many more times, and we sat together as she prayed. One sunny morning, I came in, and there sat a lovely woman dressed neatly and appearing somewhat uncomfortable in this setting. I said hello, and she nodded. Then I sat down on my bench and waited for my friend to come so we could pray together by the laundry machines. But this day when I sat, she did not come. And through a series of conversations and interactions, um, this woman who was seemed very out of place in the laundromat came up to her and said, uh, talk to her about her mother, who was the woman who had been mumbling and praying. Um, and this woman was called Alice. She said, Alice began in a gentle tone to speak to me about a woman she'd called mother. She spoke of their status in the community and the outreach, outreach work that her mother had prided herself on teaching her children. She remarked that each week her mother would come to this place, put coins in the dryers when clothing stopped and needed more time and sat silently. The family thought she'd got dementia. But she was not a problem. After having lost her son in Vietnam, she never really fully recovered. This had been her place to come and do his laundry when he was home from college many years before he went to Vietnam. So it also started to make sense to me, I thought. This young woman must be the daughter of my friend, and this place was where her mother felt closest to her son. This is why she came and prayed there. And as uh, the woman Alice was leaving, she uh, gave uh, me an envelope. And she said, I believe this is for you. And so I opened the envelope. It's, it was addressed to a dear friend. My dear companion and friend, in the beginning when I came to this place at the laundromat, I came in sorrow. I sat and remembered my boy and prayed. People cast glances my way and acted as if I was some th somehow a bit crazy. I sat in the same place and talked with my son and prayed that he would know I loved him still and was proud to be his mom. Then one day you walked in and sat beside me. As time went by, you continued to come, and my prayers became your prayers. I wondered how you could understand an old fool like me, let alone decipher what I was saying. Somehow you understood. You asked me for nothing and gave me something that I will carry with me until I leave this earth. You gave me acceptance, respect, and treated me with a gentle regard for the person I was. 
What you may not have realized was that coming here became a time I truly look forward to. I look forward to meeting you, dear lady, and never even knew your name. I am going soon to meet my son, and I wanted to write this while my mind was clear and make sure that Alice would carry out my wishes. Your presence and acceptance of what seemed like oddities meant so much to me. No one has ever been so kind without expecting something in return. I was happy always to give, but you gave me a gift that is priceless, the gift of acceptance and time spent with an old lady that everyone decided was sick. I will be forever in your debt and forever in your heart. So a very seemingly simple, ordinary situation that we might easily pass over. You know, how many people do we walk by, do we sit by, do we notice in the street corner, in the laundromat, in the cafe, in the park bench, on the street? And we don't know their stories. We don't turn towards, we don't take the time. And sometimes we do, and we have these pretty transformational experiences. But what I love about that story is just the, the simplicity of it. She didn't do anything grand. She just sat with a kind presence, patience, curious. And this whole beautiful thing happened, unfolded, which for this woman at that stage of her life was so tremendously important. So, I talk a lot about compassion because um, life is hard. Anybody noticed? Yeah, it's not easy to even in the, in the life that we might live here, which is somewhat privileged and affluent and safe, relatively. Um, life is challenging on whatever level you live it: physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, existential, money, security, health. Right. Not easy to be to stay open and present, and then just and then let alone taking in the suffering of the world and the challenges of what how humanity treats each other so brutally. So I really appreciate these teachings that um, they give us some uh, context and some practices to learn how to hold that both our inner and the outer challenges that gives us the capacity to meet life. Right? This the, the point of this practice is so interesting that meditation still, less and less and less as it becomes more mainstream, you know, has gotten ridiculed for being life-denying and life-avoiding. And the irony of this practice is it gives us the capacity, the tools to really meet, to really embrace, to really show up for all of life's mysteries and challenges. Just to hold steady with both the beautiful and the sublime and also the, the painful and the difficult. I've been with many friends in the last couple of years who've had near-death accidents and um, uh, chronic illnesses and, um, and watch people who've, who have some kind of practice like this that's really been an incredible ballast. That has they've allowed it's allowed them to surrender into the conditions they're in, which are not so easy. So um, <coughs> this cartoon I like, which explains where we are in life, 
So um, it's a three-caption cartoon. Some of you know this because I read this all the time. It's called The History of Man. The History of Man, caption one. Caption two, what the hell is happening here? Man scratching his head. What the hell is happening here? This is where we are. And caption three, the end. We're in the middle. We're in the stage between life and death going, what the frig is happening here? What did I sign up for? Why did I come to this weird and wonderful body and mind and place and family and, you know, we don't, we don't seemingly sign up for it, but we land here, you know, and with no instruction manual, you know, you might have got little advice here and there growing up, but, you know, and no one's got it figured out and it's not like how it looks on TV or smooth and, you know, I grew up watching Dallas, you know, these, these big houses and these fancy lives and neuroses. <laughs> and so life asks us, you know, this practice asks us, how do we show up every day? How do we get out of bed? How do we meet ourselves and the joys and the struggles with kindness, with presence? How do you? Actually, I'm always curious. How do you show up every day with the challenges you face in your body and your health and losses of loved ones and the depressing news and whatnot? Right? Not so easy. And the, the, the quality of compassion, which is this capacity to meet suffering, to embrace it with a kind of fearlessness, actually, with a courageousness, is one of those... Um, essential qualities that we can develop. I was teaching up in um, Canada recently, in Regina, um, in Saskatchewan, up in the minus 28 degrees. It was, it was toasty for that time of year. Um, and a beautiful community up there, Dharma community, my friends developed. And there was a woman there who had a lot of trouble walking. She had crutches and she developed um, MS some years ago and was on a quite a significant deterioration of physical ability. And um, you know, so I talked to her about her practice and she said it was really the finding the practice and the community to support her that's really helping her get through this very, very traumatic condition. I just watched, and if some of you watched the movie um, The Theory of Everything, I think it's called, Stephen Hawking, who had, has, after, still after 52 years, Lou Gehrig's disease, was given the diagnosis he would live for two years, he'd live for 52 years, the most amazing mind, one of the most amazing minds the planet's ever seen, genius, physicist. And it was beautiful to watch both his tenacity as a human being to work with that condition, but also the com incredible compassion of his wife who really um, allowed him to live in a certain way for decades. Incredible, incredible expression of the heart. If you haven't seen the movie and you want your heart to be blown open a little bit, go watch the movie. It's very beautiful, very touching. Expression of love in action and in ways that we do ordinarily with our friends, with our family, with our loved ones, with our dying animals, with in many ways that we express this.
So how do we how do we do this? How do we learn how to cultivate this robustness of heart that doesn't numb out to pain, that doesn't run from it, that can hang out in the middle of it, that can find a way through empathy fatigue, find a kind of a ballast. So this poem, quite well-known poem from Palestinian poet, Naim Shihab Nai, who I'm sure knows a fair dose of pain in this life. She writes, um, Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian or white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow, you must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. And then it's only kindness that makes sense anymore. anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for and goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So we have to drop into the common humanity of pain, the universal nature, to see it's not over there. It's not those poor people. It's all of us. Nobody escapes. There's a line that I draw on a lot when I'm going about my day. It says, um, um, be kind to every person you meet because each person has been asked to carry a great burden. Be kind to every person you meet because each person has been asked to carry a great burden. Right? And if you look around this room, look around this room right now, you wouldn't necessarily think, well, this is a room full of burdens. You know, people look healthy and happy and they've got nice hair and, you know, nice clothes and, you know, all of that, right? And, and, but if we scratch, if we know, we know from our own lives and our family's lives and our beloved's lives, scratch below the surface, you know, you'll find all kinds of trauma, pain, loss, angst, fear, anxiety, you know, just the usual gamut of human experience. You also find joys and passion and beauty and love and all that, but you also find that there's a burden or two or three, right? Maybe known or unknown, right? maybe recent or long, long ago. But it, you know, um, we don't get through this life without one or many of those. So I'm going to read some things that kind of speak to um, both meeting that and also um, you know, meeting the meeting the challenge of being human, but also finding that quality of heart that can meet it. So this is a poem by the poet Marie Howe, who has definitely her share of burdens in her life and writes exquisite poetry about it. And this particular um, poem, um, she's writing to her brother Johnny, who died of AIDS when he was 28. And a lot of her poetry is, some of her poetry is written to him. And she's describing the, the, 
the full catastrophe of life, the, just the ordinarily day-to-day um, kind of mess. Uh, Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again, the sky is a deep headstrong blue, and the sunlight pulls through the open living room windows because the heat's on, on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living, living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you call that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want spring to come and the winter to pass. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window, in the, the window glass, say, of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face, and my unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. I am living. I remember you. I am gripped by a cherishing, cherishing so deep for my blowing hair, my wind-chapped lips. Yeah. That in the midst of that, in the midst of the mess, right? in the midst of seeing the India, Indian dead by the side of the road, that's when the heart breaks open. When we turn to it, with an open heart, when we can welcome it, when we can allow it, when we can let it in. Not so easy, but we have that capacity at times. Right? So the practice is encouraging us, you too can do this, you too can learn how to not flinch, flee, and run, because what happens when we run from pain, it just kind of follows us to our vacation and to work and to wherever we're trying to run away from, Hawaii even, you know, gets on the plane. You know, <laughs> um, <coughs> by running from suffering, we run towards it. So where, where the practice of mindfulness and compassion come together is mindfulness trains us to, to, sh- to be present, to show up, to meet what's here, whether we like it, love it, hate it, want it, don't want it. All of that, you know, we just go, oh, this too. Oh, backache this morning, great, just what I wanted. Okay, it feels like this. Tangling, tense, burning, tightness, cramping, okay. And then that passes, and then some joy or peace. Oh, lovely. And then there's the memory of not having sent the emails last night at work, and oh no, and fear, anxiety. And, you know, we just learn how to meet the daily, you know, the daily... Stuff of life, and then with that meet learning to meet, then that gives it trains us to learn how to meet the hard stuff. You know, there's a reason we sit in meditation and don't move for a while, right? Because at some point, stuff comes up we don't like, don't want. It's painful. It's hard to be with, and we've training ourselves to just can I, can I, can I be there? Can I sit in the middle of it? Can I hold it? And what supports the holding is kindness. Is love when we when we can find a way to you know, s- relax the body, soften the nervous system. 
meet that difficulty with a kind attention, we have more capacity. If we're tight with reactivity and fear and hatred because our knee's hurting, we don't have a lot of capacity to deal with the pain. We're just dealing with reactivity, which is a double burden. So, this is a um, reading from Zen teacher who had um, degenerative illness. <coughs> and um, <coughs> she talks about this, this journey, you know, which anybody with chronic illness will understand, that it keeps pulling you in, keeps pulling you in, and the more you fight, the more you resist, the more you suffer. Pain equals suffering. Suffering equals pain times resistance. Right? The more we resist, the more we fight, the more we complain, the more we think it's not fair, and the more we suffer. Because we, we, we don't have that capacity just to surrender, to open. So she says, people sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the midst of this physical chronic pain, this slow crippling, can I encourage myself and other people? My answer is that my own healing comes from my own struggle. It comes from the shadow. I dip into those difficult places again and again, and I'm flooded with healing energy. Despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around this wheel a million times. First I feel a despair, then I deny it for a few days. Then it's the tugs become more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally, it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming. It's clear I'm caught, so at last I give up to this dark reunion, this, this reunion with the dark aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. Immediately the release begins. First peace and then the flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when I first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times with a happy ending, I would give up right away and say, take me, I'm yours. But I never can, I always resist. I guess that's why it's called struggle or despair. If you went willingly, it'd be called something like healing or renewal or purification, something hopeful. It's staring defeat and annihilation in the face that's so terrifying. I must resist it until I surrender. I've come to tr trust it deeply. It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me not to fear the dark. So how many of you faced a really dark, difficult time in your life and come through the other side transformed and healed? Right? I mean, if probably a lot of people in the room, if not everybody. Right? It's those, you know, as, the, as, as Rumi said, it's the bandage places. Pay attention to the bandage places because that's where the light comes in. Right? It's when we, when we get pulled down, just like she says, when we fight, we resist, and we at some point let go to the grief, to the loss, to the pain, to whatever it is, and we surrender, and we yield, and we open, it usually allows the heart to come forward. It allows some love, it allows some kindness, it allows some forgiveness, it allows presence, which of course gives us capacity. It's, it's, it's what grows the heart. And how many of you would not trade those really difficult, dark, painful times for anything? Right? As, however, however brutal they are, right? From this, from the from vantage point of time, it's what transforms us. It's what heals us. It's what makes us more whole. What makes us more courageous, more wise, more compassionate. We we get 
when someone else is going through a similar pain, we get it because we've walked that walk. And I know my work as a teacher and as a therapist, I work with a lot of different people. Uh, I was working with someone today, really, really dark places of fear and loneliness and despair and depression and um, hopelessness. And I, and I, I, I feel like you know, I know those places really well in myself. You know, I'm not happy about that, but that's true. That's <laughs> that's been, you know, when you walk through life. That's probably what you face. And having gone through that, I f- it's really it's so much m- there's so much more resources to to work with him and others. Right? It gives us tremendous capacity and compassion, right? and really genuine empathy. So how are you doing out there? <laughs> it's interesting, when I think about talking about compassion, I always, I'm always in tune to the, the beauty of the quality, and yet whenever I talk about it, it by nature references the pain in which it was responding to. <laughs> so the talk inevitably tends towards the heavier, painful spectrum of life, and yet the quality itself is this really a exquisite heart quality that's tender, that quivers, that's responsive, that's, that's open, that's warm, that's really you know, one of the glues that makes our life possible. Think of all the painful times that you've lived and walked through and how you've been held and helped in that journey by the people who've had that compassionate presence which may have been your parents or your siblings or your partner or your friends or a stranger. There's a lovely story from a friend of mine, Nipun Mehta, who founded um, Service Space and many other wonderful generosity organizations. And he talks about he's in India. He's Indian. He was going back to India to visit his family when he was 14. And uh, he got really sick. He was riding with a friend on the back of a moped along these bumpy roads and got uh, road sick and got off the bike and was throwing up and this stranger was bike on his bicycle biking past and saw that uh, Nippon was um, sick and so he got off his bike and he took out a lemon from one pocket and a knife from one pocket, cut the lemon in half, gave half the lemon to Nippon which helps with nausea, nausea and then put the lemon back in his pocket, put the knife back in his pocket Wrote off, didn't exchange a word, didn't wait for thank you, just, you know, a, a, just a spontaneous act of compassion. Mm-hmm. Compassion is a generosity of heart, and, and it's what allows us to move and act, to be responsive to others. I mean, it has different, different layers. So, um, first it has the meeting, and then the response. But the first comes the meeting, which is what comes with our practice of presence, of mindfulness. This is from a friend of mine, Alexis, who I was teaching a course. He left early to go catch a flight back to the East Coast. And uh, he sent this email for us to read to the retreat before the, the, the morning that the retreat ended. And he said, 
I wanted to share with you something that happened this evening on our way back to, from the Baltimore airport. A deer stepped in front of the car. I was driving. For the next 30 minutes, I kneeled quietly in the nightlit meadow as she struggled to stand over and over again, but collapsing each time. I found myself whispering, Oh, my friend, I am so sorry. And take all the time you need. There's no rush. Take all the time you need. I held matter and compassion in my heart for the deer, and I held matter and compassion in my heart for myself. When the, tame ca- when the time came, I kneeled by her and placed my hand on her wounded body as she parted. Tears fell, tears of openness, of allowing, of sorrow, of feeling into sacred space. What I really wanted to say is that life is precious. You know that. Keep practicing. It opens and transforms the heart. So I love that sense of him turning towards, bearing witness. Part of compassion is bearing witness. We just show up without fixing. In that, in that situation, there's no fixing. There's no controlling. There's no getting rid of. There's just showing up you know, and, and staring that difficulty in the face with a loving heart. Right? Very courageous. Sometimes, you know, culturally, we think of the heart as, as the weaker, you know, the mind as the st- stronger part of our psyche and that the heart qualities are weakness in you know, love and compassion and yeah that's just all that softy softy stuff you know but it actually takes a lot of courage to know that you've you've killed an animal and be present and witness it with love it's dying breath you know? <clears throat> so there's the presence there's the meeting and then there's a responding, there's the reaching out, there's the, the open hand, there's the gesture, there's the phone call, there's the, the wanting to relieve and alleviate the just difference between empathy and compassion is empathy. We resonate, we feel, we get where someone's at, but compassion is, the, is that which reaches out and, and takes action. You know, in whatever small or large way that is. There's a story that speaks to that responsiveness. And this is from this organization, Service Space. And uh, I love this story for its spontaneity. So another quality of compassion is its spontaneity. It's, um, it's, it's almost impulsive responsiveness. If we let the mind get in, we might go, oh, I don't know, and if I can do that, I might get into trouble. I might, you know, I don't want to give that away, or I'm too busy, or, you know. They did this interesting experiment on a college campus with compassion. Uh, this was to um, divinity students. And uh, they were, so that the, there were two groups. One group was held in the classroom and told they had to get from this side of the campus where the classroom was to the other side of campus quickly. And they had to get to the next lecture. It was imperative they got to the lecture on time. And they, were, they held them back, so they had to rush to get to class on time. So... Um, they, they left one at a time, and the, the, the study was set up so um, there was a, uh, someone as part of the study would deliberately fall in front of them uh, and to see if the, if, the, if the students responded. 
every single one of those students who were in a hurry to get to the next class because it was so important, not one of them stopped to, to help this person out. Right? And then they did a, this control group with a classroom who was told, you know, we need to get from this classroom to the across campus. But you have all the time, take, take your time, no rush, just, you know. And the same thing, they'd have someone fall in front of each student and the response rate was much higher when they weren't in a rush, when they weren't so self-preoccupied, right? So um, think about the ways, you know, just to think about the obstacles to compassion. You know, one of the obstacles is we, 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 we get too busy. We get so caught up in our own busyness and rushing and, you know, whatever else we get caught up in. And so we lose that responsiveness. You know, I think of those, I think they did these studies, I think it was in the 70s, in the, of doing, having people, uh, you know, on New York subways and on the streets of New York, and that same lack of responsiveness because people were too busy to help or too afraid. So this is a story of a woman who um, is um, uh, on disability um, because of health issues and is having trouble finding money at the end of the month and trying to get a part-time job. And um, she's been applying for work and being told she's overqualified and um, struggling. And one evening she's at a bus stop and um, it's cold outside. It's about nine o'clock. And she's waiting at a bus stop. And just as the bus pulls up, a young woman walks up to the bus, um, at the bus stop. And she's, um, she's, uh, well, I'll just read what it says. She says, she had a t-shirt on and flip-flops and was wearing several hospital bracelets, but no warm clothes. And it was cold out. I asked her her name and if she had a coat or anywhere to go. She quickly told me she'd lost her apartment, lost her job, and got very sick and was put in the hospital. She had no family in the area and didn't know where she was going to sleep. I dug in my purse and took out some bus tickets and five bucks so she could get something to eat. I then took off my jacket and tennis shoes and gave them to her. I said these were a little big, but they should keep you warm. She looked at me and said, are you going to be cold? I said, you know, for me being cold for 15 minutes until I get to my place is worth it if I know you'll be a little warmer for wherever you end up. She cried and thanked me with a hug. I just told her to pass the goodness on. Then after I got on the bus, that's when the miracle of spreading kindness happens. Happened. I stepped up to pay I stepped up to pay the fare and the bus driver says, Ma'am, I saw what you just did and your fare is on me. Even though technically we aren't supposed to let you on the bus without shoes, he said with a <laughs> wink. I went to sit down, this lady who was dressed in a very professional business suit calls me over to her seat and says, I want to know the name of the person who just did the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. I told her my name and she's like, what can I do for you to give back? Well, I just witnessed. I jokingly said a paying job would be nice. She said I might be able to work something out. She asked for my name and number and said she'd call me the next day. And turns out she was head of HR and she <laughs> called her on Monday morning and she got a part-time job. But that's the, po- the point of the story is the spontaneity of the kind heart, right? They're just the responsiveness, right? <coughs> and of course, you know, there's a lot of research being done now on compassion. Stanford... Uh, was it C-Care, Compassion, Compassionate Care Project, um, and other places doing really interesting research on the, what happens to our brain and, and uh, the positive effects of compassion on the endocrine system, on blood pressure, on the nervous system, on our well-being. Um, the same uh, 
you know, lights up the happiness centers, dopamine. Like it's, it, we feel we're socially hardwired to be compassionate. You know, we're, we're hardwired that it feels good when we reach out, when we extend beyond ourselves, when we care about others, when, we, when, we, when our mission, our purpose is beyond just taking care of ourselves, but takes into account others, other life. I was reading, it's a wonderful book about compassion called, um, The Compassionate Life. Highly recommend it, beautiful book. And one of the chapters, he's uh, looking at the, uh, the research on uh, bonobos, you know, a remarkable species of chimpanzee, much less aggressive than all the other uh, species that were studied. And there were several famous um, bonobo um, um, who were raised in this center in North Carolina. And uh, the story is about um, this uh, bonobo, Kanzi, who was raised from infancy by psychobiologist Sue Savage, Rombo, who co-parented him with an adoptive bonobo mother, um, who often shows sign of empathy and compassion. Once, for example, attempting to open a jar of cherries by throwing it on the ground, Kanzi accidentally bounced the jar off the leg of his zookeeper, who screamed in pain and grabbed her knee. Kanzi seemed to assume that she had hurt her hand, grasped her palm, and gently turned it over, inspecting the skin. Noticing an old scar, he moved her hand in the direction of a water canteen. When the woman verbally asked what he wanted, Kanzi had shown a remarkable level of language comprehension. He pointed the canteen and then to her old injury as if urging her to douse her hand with water. As she did so, Kanzi tried to wash her wound. Apes have been observed uh, cleaning wounds in the wild with water, usually with their own saliva. So many, many wonderful stories of these bonobos expressing these really beautiful qualities of empathy of where they actually can put themselves in the in the perspective of another in this in the in the in the felt sense of another or as the um the cartoon that uh, Gary Larson has the great dharma teacher that I often quote um where he's in, um, he's in hell. We're in hell, and some of Satan's fiery dens. And um, Satan comes out of one of these fiery rooms, and he's shouting to his mother, "No, mother, stop doing that! Don't do that!" And the caption below says, "Despite his repeated efforts, um, he could never stop his mother offering cookies and milk to the accursed." And she's there with a little tray with her little horns and then tail and an apron. And she's these fresh recruits from into hell, you know, cookies and milk and, you know. So notice that in yourself. Notice the ways that you respond spontaneously. We all do. We, you know, if someone's crying, a friend's in distress, we might pick up the phone, we might lend a hand, we might put a hand on the shoulder, we might stay home, stay around and listen. Right? There's many ways... It's really important to look at where we already have these qualities. These qualities are innate and they can be developed and cultivated if we pay attention, if we prioritize, if we take time. 
um, but to remember they're not something extraneous to you. They, they, we have these qualities. We've, we survive with these qualities, really. So lastly, um, just to, to talk about the, you know, as many things in practice, the, the, the genesis comes from how we are with ourselves, how we are with our own stuff, our own burdens, our own wounds and pains and angst, anxieties and fears and lonelinesses and deficiencies. And, you know, just a long happy list of human life. <laughs> How do you show up in the morning when you wake up feeling sad or lonely? You know, how are you when you go to bed and you feel despair or angst? Right? Do you meet that with judgment and rejection and shooting? And, or is there a way that you can learn to hold yourself like you would a friend, like you would a loved one, like a child? Yeah? Can we be a little softer, a little more generous, a little kinder with ourselves? You know, and then have a sense of humor about the challenge of life. This is... Um, well, it is what it is. Dear Lord, so far it has been a good day. I haven't lost my temper, shouted at anyone, or forgot anything. Amazingly, I have not told any lies, been conceited or selfish, nor have I done anybody any harm. I haven't smoked or even had a drink. Now, if you please, I must get out, get on with my day, but first I must get out of bed this morning. <laughs> so we need to be kind with our, you know, foibles and fumbles. This is a... Uh, great cartoon someone gave to me in Durango the other recently. It's, um, it says, I never make the same mistake twice. I make it five or six times just to be sure. <laughs> so, you know, to be forgiving of ourselves. What a concept. To be accepting of our struggles and our challenges. So one of the phrases I, I say to myself, I'm not the most, um, well, I, I have a forgetful side, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, so my, my critic always has something to say about, you know, these things. And um, so when I lose my keys or my wallet or my credit card or whatever it is, that the, th the, the thing of the day, Usually it's a file on my computer that I was sure I stored on my desktop, but somehow some mysterious computer gremlin just ate it for breakfast. That's not there. And the instead of judging myself, I just the thought comes up, oh, Mr. Mindful wins the day again. There's Mr. Mindful. Lost his keys. <laughs> Mr. Mindful is late to Spirit Rock again. And just having a sense of humor and lightness rather than like, oh, God. You know, you're supposed to be a mindfulness teacher and you lose your keys, that's pathetic, get over yourself already. <laughs> like, come on, get with the program here. If people only knew, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> not, that they, not that they would actually care. <coughs> <coughs> so how are you with meeting yourself? And what are ways, what would, be, what would be one simple way this week you could be a little more kind to yourself, a little more forgiving, a little more compassionate, which means we turn towards and feel the difficulty. We're not trying to get rid of it, not trying to make it go away. We're just trying to acknowledge, oh, this is suffering. When we acknowledge th the truth of suffering, it actually allows the heart to respond a little more. Oh, this is painful. When my judge is on my case about that, it feels really bad, it really hurts. That can allow some 
some quality of care to come. When we acknowledge how painful our, you know, our chronic injury is, or our loss of our vitality, or our health, or our loved ones, right? we acknowledge how painful it is. Right? There can be a tenderness. Yeah, this is hard. You know, this is what the Buddha talked about, the first noble truth. There is difficulty, there is unsatisfactoriness in life. It's a cartoon from the New Yorker. There's a little boy on the bed with his mom, and he's obviously said he's obviously done something bad, and so he's a bit worried about you know whether his mom's going to still be there, and probably asked if he's if she's going to love him you know forever or something like that. And she says, "Oh heavens, no, sweetie. My love for you has tons of conditions." So, you know, we don't sign up, we just get the lot we get and then we have to deal with it. And hopefully <laughs> the more we can, we can bring forth kindness and care, the more, the more resiliency we have actually. I'm doing a lot of work these days in, in, in healthcare settings with healthcare providers in oncology and palliative care and um, teaching resiliency through the qualities of mindfulness and compassion. Mindfulness and compassion are foundational qualities that provide uh, tremendous resilience in our hearts. It allows us to meet experience. It allows us to flow with the ebbs and flows. It allows us to hold suffering. And that's what allows a sense of buoyancy. I mean, the the Dalai Lama is a great example of that. Tremendously mindful and compassionate. He was giving this lecture in New York mm, probably 20 years ago now to, uh, to like 250,000 people is when he sort of be- suddenly became a rock star. And um, he was talking about his life and how hard it had been and you know, the, the having to leave his childhood home and the suffering of his people and him being put into such a you know, he's, he was head of the country when he was 17 and just very traumatic life. And then he, he um, meets all the refugees who come out, you know, at least once a week or once a month and hears their stories of pain and loss and brutality and, you know, enough to make anybody thoroughly and utterly depressed. And then he pauses for a while on the dais he's sitting on and he says, but I'm pretty happy. <laughs> you know, and he does in his chuckle. His, his laughter, and because he's got these qualities of, of, of awareness and compassion that allows us resiliency, really valuable qualities. So I'll close with this very profound quote from the Dalai Lama, since I'm, we're talking about him where he says, if you don't want to help people, that's fine. That's okay, just don't cause any problems. <laughs> this is from the man who is really like the father of compassion. You know? <laughs> just don't cause any problems. To yourself, mainly, actually, since we're the biggest problem to ourself. So let's just close. Let's just close. We'll uh, just sit for a moment. 
and let the words go and come into your heart. And take a moment to think about the most loving, kind, compassionate person you know. Or call to mind some where you were seeing someone express that kindness or compassion to yourself or to another. And just feel that inequality of warmth in the heart. Any aspiration to call these qualities to mind, to bear witness, to turn towards, to open to the inevitable difficulties in life, and to meet them with a friendliness, with a warmth, with an understanding, with a care. May we all live with a compassionate heart. May all beings everywhere live with a compassionate heart. (coughs) So nice to be here, nice to be back. Nice to see familiar faces and new faces. So um, I wish you a lovely evening, a lovely week. Enjoy the rain and um, come back for the ongoing Mondays to hear more about the other qualities of the heart. Okay, take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.